Today's scripture readings will be from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, chapter 30, verse 6, and from Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. And this morning, our readings will be from the NIV. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Chapter 30. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Colossians chapter 2. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Phil. Hey, don't you love Jamie's enthusiasm? Is that not that's contagious, is it not? <laughs> And we love Jamie, too, but we really enjoy your enthusiasm. Well, good morning. And we're, I'm wrapping up a series that we've been on uh, for a few weeks, uh, The People of a Promise, from Exodus to Deuteronomy. This year, we've been kind of back to the Bible. We've been going through uh, the scriptures. If you've been in the class, Sunday morning class, we're progressing farther along. If you're on this Bible reading through the year, you're actually in Isaiah. Um, and so, but that sense is... Yeah, people are going, oh my gosh, I'm really behind. <laughs> I realize how far behind if you're, you're already reading Isaiah today. But, uh, but this morning, uh, I wanted to look at this is here at the end in Deuteronomy. You know, Moses, he's, he's, most of this is, this really means the second law of Deuteronomy. He's wrapping up and reminding the children of Israel of some things. They're about to go into the promised land, and he's taking some time. It's very much like, uh, <clears throat> um, Lynn Stobbs used this example, very much like it's a grandfather, you know, gathering. It's, he's about to die, and he's gathering his family around him, and he's giving them some final instruction, reminding them of these truths, who you are, whose you are, what you need to be about, what you need to be committed to, reminding them of things down the road that are very important. Don't forget, remember my love for you, remember God's love for you, etc., etc. So it's, it's like Moses doing that. He's gathering uh, the people of Israel around and reminding them of these just some fundamental truths that they need to remember as they enter in uh, to this land that God has prom- promised them. So some of the things you know, we read... This, this Shema, this, this is Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Akkad. That's the prayer that Shema is the first word of it. It means, Hero Israel, it's translated, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. I really think that's a wrong translation. I say that because it's not about monotheism, it's about God is the only God. Hero Israel, the Lord your God alone 
is God. Alone is the Lord. He's, he is the one and only. He is the unique. There's no other God before but God. There's no other God. They're gonna, they've been in a land with false gods. Egypt had many gods. They're going into a land. They're, and they're in this situation, but they need to be reminded there's only one God. Your God, your creator, the one who called you to himself is the one and only Lord and God. Remember that as you enter into, enter into this land. And then he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love the Lord your God. He's your God. He loves you. Love him with all your heart, with all your strength. And then at the end of the chapter, he reminds them of this about the circumcision of the heart. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your hearts and with all your soul and live. So he's reminding them, man, rain, reminding them to love the Lord with all their hearts. It's God himself who's going to circumcise their hearts. What we want to talk about this morning, what is this idea of circumcision? And what's this circumcision of the heart? And how is that fulfilled? How is that fulfilled uh, in Jesus Christ? So why did God use, why is this simple of circumcision? Well, if you go back to Genesis 12, God made these promises uh, to Abraham. He pulled him out of all the people, and he said to Abraham, he said, leave your country, your people, your father's household, go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so God is, it's interesting, God is fulfilling that promise still today, that promise of, <clears throat> that he had made to Abraham some 2,000 years before Jesus. He's still fulfilling today. But he told him, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Ultimately, the Messiah was going to come through his line, and that's part of that, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. But at this point, Abraham didn't have a child. <clears throat> he said, Lord, you know, so here you get to chapter 15, and, and God's reminding him of that promise. And he said, he said, Lord, I don't even have a, I don't even an heir. I don't have a child. He said, no, one from your own body is going to come. He said, go out and count the stars. If you can count the stars, you'll be able to, so your descendants will be. And later he says, the dust of the earth and the sands of the seashore. He uses these metaphors to talk about how numerous his descendants are going to be. <clears throat> and the scripture says, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God. And that phrase, Paul picks up, the New Testament picks up, and that's, that's, in a sense, circumcision of the heart, believing, believing God and, and living that out. Paul says in Galatians that all those who believe as Abraham believed are the real Israel of God. They're the spiritual Israel. Whether you're a physical descendant, a spiritual descendant is one who believes. You know, it's interesting how significant Abraham is. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all look to Abraham as their father in faith. Isn't that interesting, this, how significant this one man is who lived uh, many, many years ago? But he said that sense of, of believing. And then he established in chapter 17 the sacrament, as the Old Testament sacrament of circumcision. And what that is representing is the removal of the, of the flesh. The sense of <clears throat> the flesh in Scripture is the, the person's back turned to God. A person who's not acknowledging God not obeying God. He says, I'm going to remove that from you. So it's that, that's what circumcision was symbolizing, the removal of, of sin, removal of a back turn to God, which meant moving toward God. So it was this picture of walking with God, obeying God, being a part of the people of God. And when you look at 
chapter 17 of Genesis, he gives a specific instruction. All of your household, you, Abraham, all that is in your household, even from eight days old uh, and on. So children were part of the covenant community in the Old Testament. You know, that sons received that sign. People, and sometimes when people don't believe in infant baptism, I want to go back to, well, why did, why did God include children in the Old Testament covenant from eight days old and on, that they're a part of the covenant community? Well, that's, that was a picture uh, that he gave them in order that they might see. So this sign was one of belonging. So think of, I'll give you a couple of examples of other signs in the, that we, like one of them was <clears throat> in Genesis as well, the rainbow, when God destroyed the earth by flood. He put the rainbow in the sky as a reminder of his covenant with mankind and the earth not to destroy the earth in such a way. This bow, this arch. And notice the bow is kind of painted, pointed toward God. If, in other words, if I'm untrue, let me be you know, shot <laughs> with this. You know. So God is saying, I'm going to be faithful uh, to my covenant. A wedding ring is another example of, you know, we use New Testament <clears throat> sacraments as uh, we don't see wedding that way, but we see baptism and the Lord's Supper. But we use a wedding ring like that in the sense of it's a reminder of a covenant made uh, between uh, a man and a woman before God and these witnesses to be a husband, to be a, to be a wife. And, and who, you, who you are and whose you are. Who, what's that about? And so in some ways, see, circumcision was used this way uh, in Scripture. So then he turns and starts talking about a, a spiritual circumcision. So what's the significance then when he talks about the circumcision of the heart that God will do, that God will do for us? And notice the significance that this is something that God will do for us. And, and why was that significant to, to, to Moses? I think Moses knew the Israelites, if, he, if this song could have been written uh, for, the, for the people of Israel, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Here's my heart and take and seal it. See the for the courts above. Moses knew this was a people who needed God to change their hearts. He needed God to do that work, that they were not going to be able to do it themselves. I mean, they, they had come out of Egypt. They'd seen God's powerful hand. These ten plagues, the cloud, uh, the glory cloud during the day and, and the fire at night, parting the Red Sea, walking through it, destroying the Egyptians. God fighting for them, God taking care of them, and yet Moses is up on the mountain and they make a golden calf, and this is your God. I mean, he realizes how quickly that they, that they forget. And they're wandering in the desert, and they need food. God gives them manna, gives, and then they say, long for Egypt. You know what they remembered about Egypt? All they remembered, all they remembered was what they were longing for, the food and the good things. They forgot the bad parts. You know, Moses uh, reminded them, you know, God was the one who, you know, Pharaoh was the one who was making you offer your children into the river. I mean, he was taking, your sons were being thrown into the Nile. Remember that? Remember the oppression? God delivered you out of that, and he's going to deliver you, and he's going to be your God, and you're going to be his people, and we're going to this land. So he knew that they needed that reminder. Hey, Moses knew he needed a reminder, too. Moses knew his own heart. Remember in Numbers Moses was the one. He, he wasn't going to be, make it to the promised land because he, he didn't show God holy among the people. And here God, you know, Moses was the one who was up on the mountain with God. And, and Moses himself, here is this, and he's, it's in Deuteronomy, I think, 20, or Numbers 20, where he says, shall I or shall we uh, bring water from this rock? In other words, he input, he's putting himself equal with God. 
and not showing God and trusting that God was the one that was providing for them. And because of that, God wouldn't let him enter the promised land. So he gets to climb up to Mount Nebo. He sees it, but he doesn't enter into it, and, and Joshua is going to be raised up to deliver him. So he knew his own heart. He knew that he needed a heart change. He knew that that could only come, that could only come from God. The rest of Scripture speaks to this as well. I mean, Ezekiel talks about the need for us to be given a new heart, a heart to obey, God writing his law in our hearts. Jeremiah talks about God putting a new spirit in us, a spirit that would give us uh, an ability to trust in him, rest in him, delight in him. Looking ahead to the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, all that that, that, that entails. So that's, that's, what it's, that's what this Spirit is, is talking about and looking ahead to. I mean, how does your heart change? Does your heart change by information, by you know, people putting difficulties around you? I mean, my heart changed. It's God who changes the heart. God, you know, so often I, I forget, and I'm trying to change people's heart. I mean, once you have children, you begin to realize the futility of trying to change the heart of your children. I mean, it's hard enough to change their behavior, much less to change their heart. Uh, and you begin to realize that's the work of God. I, I say that so, you know, when you come across people who don't believe, don't be too harsh on them. Because it takes God to change their heart. You know, you're not going to, you know, God has to give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to comprehend. So, and when you're having trouble with your own heart and obedience, ask God, Lord, change me. Change my heart. Give me a heart uh, to trust you, to walk with you, to believe you, and to follow, to follow you. And when you pray for others, pray that for them, that God would be the one to capture them, uh, to change their heart. And be patient. That doesn't mean you don't have to ask good questions. I like to ask questions by planting a seed. You know, just plant a seed and let God work on, let, let God cause that seed that you plant in there. Don't think you've got to convert people. God is the one who changes and converts people. But that's the sense. God is the one who's going to take our hearts and going to give us a, a new heart. And that's, that's the promise that, that he makes. Well, where is this fulfilled? And we, <clears throat> Bill read this for us in, in Colossians. I love this passage where he goes, he talks about the reality of this is, is found in Christ. I'm going to read it again. It's, it's worth hearing. Um, in, verse, in verse 11, In him you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. He's talking about that removal of the flesh, God taking our attitude that, away from the attitude to put God, uh, our backs to God, to turn back toward him. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, has been put off with the circumcision by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through the faith of the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sin and your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave all our sins, canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and, and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it, nailing it to the cross. So this picture is that we've been you know, <clears throat> baptized into Christ. Paul is using these analogies of circumcision and baptism back to back, over overlapping them. You know, circumcision was the removal of that flesh, that back turned toward God. And what is baptism is a picture of being washed and made alive. When I talk to kids who, are, who have not been baptized as infants and are wanting to be baptized, I enjoy asking them. It's, it's really fun. About a seven or eight-year-old is a good one. I said, well, what do you, why do you think is water? What do we do with water? Listen, what do you do with water all the time? Well, I swim in it. Well, okay. 
Well, what else do you do with water besides swimming? Well, I drink it. We drink it. Yeah. Why do you drink water? What would happen if we didn't have water to drink? I mean, usually a seven or eight year knows I'd die. So water is representing life. It's showing that we need to be made alive by the Spirit of God. We need this heart to be made alive. And what else do you do with water? Okay, we, your mom says, before you eat, what do you have to do? Wash your hands. So washing, water is cleansing. It's the universal solvent. So being washed with the water of the Word, the Scripture talks about, the blood of Christ washing us our sins away. That picture is that water and baptism is representing being identified with, placed into Christ, made alive by the Spirit of God and the work of Christ and being washed by his, by his work on our behalf. And that's the picture that he says all this is happening because of our identity of the believer with Christ. Now, I, I, I was raised in the Catholic Church. I was one of seven kids, and we went to a small town in, in a small church. And I, when I say about the Catholic Church, it's not everyone's experience. I'm just telling you this was mine. So I'm not trying to beat up on the Catholic Church. I'm just telling you what, what I experienced as this young boy being raised in the church. You know, when I was, you know, until I was 10, the Mass was said in Latin. I, I didn't, I wasn't that great in English, by the way. You know, but they're, they're saying it in Latin. And, and the Catholic Church, I mean, if the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, I mean, they gave me the fear of God. I mean, I was afraid of the nuns. Okay, not to mention the, the priest and, and then God. Oh, my goodness. You know, and all this. So there was that sense of I had this great fear of God, and I didn't understand. The scriptures were read to us, you know, but, but we didn't read the Bible at home. I, no one helped us. And even the Bible being read, no one stood up and explained. Here's what this scripture means. I, there were sermons, but they were mostly announcements, and they were... I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. You know, even when I was, I was an altar boy, and back when we were saying it in Latin, there was a phrase that, I mean, we're supposed to, at one point, the altar boys are supposed to bend down and say some things. We're, we got a sheet we're reading off of. I, I, I couldn't read Latin, but I'm done mumbling. I'm watching the guy older than me. At one point, you say, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. We'd say that together, and I'd do that together, which really means my guilt, my guilt, my extreme guilt. And so I can appreciate that, but nobody told me what that meant. I mean, I didn't, I didn't understand all that. So it, it was that experience. So I actually, um, I got the sense of here's how to get to God, live a good life. I actually asked a priest one time. Uh, I don't think all priests will say this, but this is what this priest told me. I said, how do you get to heaven? And he said, obey the Ten Commandments. And I go, what's behind door number two? You know, <laughs> I'm like... Actually, I didn't say that. I thought that. I wish I had the courage to say that because I'm going, you know, okay, I, I didn't know a lot. And, and the Catholic Church has Jesus hanging on the cross. And I'm just, I remember thinking, that guy's got to have something to do with it. I mean, he, we had the Ten Commandments before he came. So surely there's, I, it's got to be more than that. And I, I, didn't, I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. So I was, I was actually, when I was in high school, a friend of mine I played football with invited me to a Bible study. And again, those, that was like an oxymoron to me. I didn't know anyone who read the Bible, much less studied the Bible. So what, what's a Bible study? And so I didn't own a Bible, so I bought a New Testament. And they were studying through uh, Romans, Galatians. So it was in that that I began to understand who Jesus was and what he accomplished. And all of that, all, all that that meant. And I realized my need of putting my faith and trust in Jesus, not just knowing about Jesus or believing that he, 
you know, was a character and was one of many that he was, the unique son of God and had died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins and I put my faith and trust in him. So I didn't find, I had to come out of the church to find Jesus and, and I don't think everybody does. I asked a professor one time um, <clears throat> about, help me understand the Catholic church. I said, I know people who are believers in there. I, I know people who are putting their faith in the church, not in Jesus. He said, well, if Jesus Christ is a tree, the Catholic church has that tree, but they've planted so many shrubs around it over the years. It's, they've grown up. It's hard to see Jesus, the central tree, in the midst of all the growth. And that was my experience. I had to get away to see that, oh, that's the one. He is the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And I can go back in the church and I can say the Apostles' Creed, which is the same one that we're going to say in a little bit. We said the same Apostles' Creed, but now I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. I put my weight on Him. It's not just words I said, let's get out of here real fast and go eat lunch. And it was, it was the sense of really believing and really trusting. And these prepositional phrases, you know, I, I had trouble learning English. Um, I don't understand when we were in grade school, why do we have to have an English class? I mean, I, I know English, let's have a Spanish class or something, you know. But I really didn't know English because we had to start learning all these parts of speech and all that. But all of a sudden, I wish I'd paid more attention when I got to seminary, we're learning uh, Greek and Hebrew. They're talking about infinities and participles and <clears throat> all these things. I'm going, oh gosh, I had to relearn English grammar. And then we got the prepositions and prepositional phrases. But I began to really love those prepositional phrases that Paul uses often to talk about what Jesus has done, how in Christ, by Christ, or with Christ, what, what we, he has done in and through and for us. That that's the real, the real key. It's the, union, it's the union of the believer with Christ. In many sense, the scripture says we're wed to Christ. I mean, that's, how is a God, how does he condemn um, Jesus, who's innocent, and acquit us who are guilty? It's that union of the believer with Christ. We are united with him. His righteousness is imputed to us. Our sin is imputed to him. That we stand righteous, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. That he, we rest in that, that my righteousness is not what I do, my obedience to the Ten Commandments, it's Jesus' obedience to the Ten Commandments. That's why I have hope. It's not me, it's him. It's in him. I've been wed to him, and what's his is mine, what's mine is his. You know, I tell people when we got married, I told, I told Renda, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine too. Which is, that's marriage, right? I was okay, okay. <clears throat> what's mine and mine, what's yours is ours. But in reality, I mean, I brought things into the wedding, into the marriage. I brought, you know, strengths and weaknesses. And she brought strengths and weaknesses. Well, now her strengths were our strengths. My struggles were our struggles. Her, <clears throat> her abilities were our abilities. And so that's what a marriage is about. Well, here being wed to Christ, and even the Old Testament has that. A few weeks ago, David preached about Exodus 19. Exodus 20 is, the, is the, <clears throat> the sense of the Ten Commandments. But 19 is where he said, look, I brought you and I care for you uh, on eagle's wings. And I, of all the people, I made you a, a, a people to myself to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then comes the Ten Commandments. This is what it means to be a part of me. But first, they're, they're wed. And that picture in the New Testament, we're wed to Christ, which is Jesus is ours. What's ours is his. And we can stand right before him, not on our strength. Our, we stand right before God on what Jesus has accomplished, what he has done 
in and through. And, that, and the New Testament writers, they're bombarding their imagination to try to explain all that Jesus has won for us. And I'll, I'll conclude with this. And here is, it's in Colossians, uh, the first chapter. He said, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. So this mystery that's been hidden, that we've been longing for, God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to make us right before you? How are you going to circumcise our hearts? How are you going to accomplish this? This mystery, it's Christ in you, your hope of glory. What's your hope? What's this, the hope of standing right before God? It's Christ in you, your hope of glory. How are you going to make a stand? It's Christ in you, your hope of glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for obeying. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you for risking and trusting and for making a way that we might enjoy and stand right before you. Continue to capture our hearts and our minds. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and confess our faith using these words of the Apostles' Creed. Church, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It took me a while to remember, realize that holy, the Catholic Church is Catholic is universal. I'm going, hey, we believe in the Catholic Church. Don't say anyway. anyway. <clears throat> Let me pray for the offertory, for the offering. Uh, Father, take these, these gifts that you have really given us and entrusted to us that we give back to you. Turn that into uh, ministry, care, your grace extended. So day by day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Let's, let's stand for the benediction. And the benediction just means good word. And this is actually from Numbers, the blessing that he gave Aaron to proclaim over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace today and the days to come. Amen? Amen.